Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to Polygamy, What Love Is This? I'm Doris Hansen, your host. And our ministry challenges polygamists to rethink and to research the claim that living polygamy is doing God's will. Also, we want to let you know that we do help people escape from polygamy. If you need help, you can call our toll-free number, 877 425-9993 for a private and confidential conversation about your situation or if you know someone who needs some help you can give us a call and you can also go to our website shieldandrefuge.org for more information about our ministry if you would like to contact us about any of our shows or if you would like to be a guest on our show and tell your story about polygamy you can email us at email at whatloveisthis.tv Also, audio versions of our program can be downloaded from our website's main page or go to soundcloud.com slash whatloveisthis and they are also available on iTunes podcast. And now I would like to thank and welcome our co-host, former Bishop Earl Erskine. Thanks for having me, Doris, again. Oh, well, it's it's awesome to work (laughs) through these things with you. and and very fascinating. Some of the discussions we have off the microphone is interesting, (laughs) Right, that's true. You know, we often come across books or publications that are so relevant to our discussion focus that we'll do a book overview discussing the parts of the book that speak to the specifics of Mormon polygamy and practices. It can be the religious doctrine or the way they treat members or their abusive mind control or the patriarchy, even the wrong slant that polygamists push onto the Bible. We're beginning on this show a four-part series on a book that I recently read where there's quite a bit of focus that speaks to problems that are prevalent in Mormon polygamy groups, even though the book was not specifically focused on polygamy groups. The book is entitled Breaking Their Will, Shedding Light on Religious Child Maltreatment. It's written by Janet Heimlich and published by Prometheus Books. There were parts of her book that spoke so strongly to my own experiences growing up in the Kingston polygamy group, especially the threats from parents and leaders who used God as a weapon of fear and terror if we failed to walk their straight line of obedience. It also speaks to any and every polygamy group and polygamous family who use, or more properly, I should say, misuse God and the Bible as their instrument to inflict child abuse or child maltreatment. I need to say that the author of this book does not appear to embrace the Bible for doctrine, nor does she confess the Christian faith. But that is not the reason for her book, and she says so, and it is not the reason or the focus of our review either. What we want to point out is that some religions use the Bible and God and spirituality to justify their abuse and mistreatment of their children. It wouldn't be relevant to cover all that she writes about, but we will cover much that applies to religious abuse in Mormonism or Mormon polygamy groups. She asks the question, can religion be harmful? 
Yes, she said, it definitely can be. We quote from page 25. Abusers sometimes distort scripture and use it as a rationale for abuse, as if God is on the side of abuse or the ab and the abuser, but not as scripture promises, in solidarity with the brokenhearted and oppressed. Abusers sometimes use scripture to heap shame and guilt upon an already traumatized child in order to maintain control over the child. And that is so, yeah, true. so true. Of course, religion can be and is very often used in every conceivable way to undermine or to strengthen anybody's personal opinions or plans or almost anything. And where there's a counterfeit, there is an original from which the counterfeit was copied. And because people misuse scripture and misrepresent God, doesn't indicate that the truth itself is harmful. The counterfeit is harmful. The lie is harmful. Twisting truth is harmful. But the truth itself is our only hope. Religious child abuse or neglect results from the abuser's religious beliefs and can manifest itself in many different ways, for example. And I think you probably sensed this, didn't you, as a, Big time. As a polygamist. Big so time. Here's about five or six or so of these. Justifying abusive physical punishment with religious text or doctrine. Having children engage in dangerous religious rituals. Taking advantage of religious authority to abuse children and procure their silence. Failing to provide children needed medical care due to a belief in divine intervention terrifying children with religious concepts, or neglecting children's safety by allowing them to spend time with the religious authorities without scrutinizing the authorities' background. Wow. Yeah. We have to say that most polygamy groups are guilty of every point yeah. on this list and even more. And to add injury upon injury, failure to acknowledge or report child neglect and child abuse just to protect the image of their religion is a crime against society, against the abused child, and a crime against God who loves children. And too many religions justify themselves with the phrase, because that's the will of God. And too many parents are spiritually lazy and are willing to do just about anything to their children if they believe that it's God's will. It's tragic that they abuse their own children based on the doctrines of mere men when it is so simple for them to check it out for themselves. When someone says God says, don't believe it until you check it out for yourself in the Bible and in context. On page 33, the author tells us that when the story of the massive molestation of children by Roman Catholic priests, and then in 2008 when the FLDS Texas Polygamous Ranch was raided, news came out that the adult men had been sexually abusing underage girls. That, along with other stories in the news at the time, helped the author realize the depth and the widespread practice of religious uh, maltreatment, child maltreatment in this country. One incident was the discovery of four members of a Baltimore religious cult who were charged in the starvation death of a toddler because he did not say amen after a meal. 
Later, she learned that the child victim from Baltimore had just been one of many children who have died at the hands of religious Americans who were practicing their own brand of twisted, self-serving faith, using words plucked from the Bible, applying them differently than they were ever intended, the Bible being misused by them for their own private interpretation and application. On page 34, she quotes Frank Schaefer, who said this, Thousands of children in this country are raised in everything from polygamous, child-abusing, religious communes to homes where medical care is denied because of religious freedom. And that's and from that point, she talks yeah. about all of this in her book, of, of, of some of the specifics that she's come across wow. for the book. Of course, it, it's, it's heartbreaking, yeah. and it just some of the things she says and writes about. Of course, if, the, if, the child, if it's the children and females who seem to be suffering the most <laughs> under the orig- this kind of a religious oppression. Yeah. By the way, Aside from the book itself, we need to preface much of our discussion by explaining how the Bible uses the word religion. Yeah, good idea. <laughs> <laughs> the word is used only five times in the Bible, and the word religious is only twice, and they're all in the New Testament. Four times the word religion is used describing the Jewish religion and, or, or men's invented religions. It's never used for Christianity. Religious, the word religious is used twice, and both times it is not in a positive sense. This is how the Bible concordance uh, tells about a derivative of a word that means this. Religion or some ceremonial observance, worship in which one goes beyond what God requires without any particular command to do what they do. It is worship in an evil sense, such as the worship of angels. It is the religion of self-will or legalism. Man is forbidden to establish his own ceremonial rites and corrupt the true worship of God. And that's what the world religions have done. Yes. They've, they've, they've established their own ceremonies and rituals and doctrine. The world's religions go way beyond what God has commanded, and each religion claims something different. And yet, most of them claim they are the only true religion. In the book of James, God himself tells us how true religion behaves. Now, notice that this is religion that God accepts. It does not include how we fold our arms in prayer or when we say amen or any particular prayer language. All that and more is mere nonsense. Traditions made up by men, not by God. Yeah, from James 1, 26 and 27. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Pretty simple. simple. (laughs) Yeah. And verse 27 explains what the true religion is and the actions that true religion produces, which includes helping children, not harming or abusing them. Hmm. When James writes that there is a pure religion, it's understood to mean there's also an impure religion. Impure religions often practice abuse, oppression, and prejudices. Abusive punishment on a child in the name of religion certainly is not God's will or His way and obviously cannot be labeled 
true or pure religion. New Testament religion is defined as being merciful and loving our enemies and living a life honoring God, not abusive rituals and religious law. Related words to the Greek word which is translated religion by the King James Bible is also used to describe superstition, which Mm. is not good. All that to say that if any religion does not measure up with the pure religion of mercy, love, and holiness, as James described, then it's not a true religion. Religions that include polygamy and forced marriages, underage sex, incest, united order living, and patriarchal authoritarianism, child abuse in the name of God, are not part of religion that God accepts. Now, keeping the biblical definition of religion in mind, back to our book review. She said it's important to come to grips with the fact that religion can be a force for both good and bad, which is exactly what we were just talking about regarding the biblical definition of the word religion. We must remember that not everyone who says they are Christian are Christian, nor is a religion Christian just because they claim that it is. Claiming and being are two different things, and the word religion is not the word to describe authentic Christianity. Of course, anything can be turned into a lie and be used for evil. Christianity is not a religion. It is living to please our Lord, not to lord it over others. It's living under God's grace and extending that grace to those in our lives and our relationships, treating others with the same grace we've received. Christianity is about relationship, not religion. Authentic Christianity is not about rituals or threats or unlimited amounts of good works and tithing. It's about a personal, loving, kind, trusting relationship with our Lord and Savior. That's what Christianity is. It is not a religion. We wish everyone could understand that God does not make the demands on humans that many humans say he does in the name of religion. On page 35, she writes that she wants to make it clear that her book is not a diatribe against all religions or an effort to put one faith over another faith. But she says sometimes some religions cross over the line that should not be crossed. And we agree. We quote. Yeah, this is really good. A line that the United States Supreme Court Court drew back in 1944 in Prince versus Massachusetts, the court states, the right to practice religion freely does not include the liberty to expose the community or child to ill health or death. And that's, and that's you know, <laughs> it does make sense. In fact, the Supreme Court said the same thing about polygamy. They have the right to believe how they want, but they don't have the right to behave how yeah, they want. Right. And yet that's precisely what polygamy groups are guilty of doing. They impose their extreme views upon their children, and they harm them physically and emotionally in the name of God. Very few, if any, escapees from polygamy come out without carrying scars of emotional, physical, sexual, or spiritual abuse. Chapter 3, she discusses authoritarianism and religion. We quote, In an authoritarianism system, everyone obeys someone else in a chain of command. People near the top 
have more power over others, while a large segment at the bottom has no power in the system whatsoever. And yet in a so Christian true. church, everything's level, isn't yeah, it? It's all yes. level, but not in these religious groups. And it's certainly true in the Kingston polygamy group, for example, they have a law called one above another. Each member has someone who is over him or her, and then that person has someone over them, and that goes on clear to the top. But when you get to the top, they don't answer to anyone. Each member is supposed to obey the one above him. Whether it's right or wrong isn't to be questioned. Their duty and obligation is to obey without question. And if it's wrong, the one who gave the command is at fault. And this is so not God. Authoritarianism succeeds when the followers surrender and submit too much to the leaders. They trust the leaders too much. They give the leaders too much leeway to do whatever they want to do. And they don't question decisions or actions or doctrine. Whatever the leaders ask their followers to do, they are obligated to do it, even though they, it, what they want them to do might often be undemocratic yeah. or, or radical or even brutal. This describes polygamy groups as well as other aberrant religions, and many of them call themselves Christian, but that isn't true Christianity at all. Authentic Christian churches are not authoritarian. They, are, they will encourage their members to live a life of love and grace based on biblical principles and ethics, but they know that the people are free to make their own decisions, that they are not to be authoritarian. And I think that's one of the greatest things I discovered I in going to a Christian church from, from the church I had attended in the polygamy yeah. group. It's, Freedom and, mm. yeah. Well, First Peter gives some guidelines about this. Yeah, this is good. First Peter 5, 2, and 3. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Not lording it so over them. It is so different than all of Mormonism yeah. because they have such an echelon in, in and hierarchy. Yeah. That's yeah. true. Um, notice that in these genuine Christian ministry, uh, they don't serve, but and they don't lord it over anyone. Religious abuse of children, people who hurt or abuse or torture children in the name of God, claiming some kind of biblical authority cannot be considered Christian in any sense of the term. Using the name of Christ has nothing to do with whether they're Christian or not. Many, in fact, take his name in vain precisely that way. On page 49, she writes that authoritar authoritarianism in religion actually denies the presence of faith. I never thought of that before yeah. I was reading this book, and Certainly yet it not does. not trusting God. <laughs> right, right. You're trusting the authority yes. rather than trusting God. Yeah. Biblical faith is about seeking openness and trusting in God rather than people, controlling people. Authoritarianism, uh, I, <laughs> that's a tongue twister Authoritarianism, for me. I'm glad you said <laughs> it first. <laughs> is too often substituted for faith, and in the end, not only displaces, but replaces faith. She mentions Jesus' invitation in Matthew chapter 11, a passage that we love and is so relevant to our outreach to polygamous. Yeah, quote. I love this. Matthew 11, 28 and 30, through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, 
for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, who can resist an invitation like that? I, really, it is. And, and, and the, the yoke being easy and light mm. and the burden being light takes all of that religious stuff off of the shoulders yeah. of the members and, and turns our eyes and our focus on Jesus. And he says, I'll carry your burdens if you'll rest in me. And you didn't grow up sensing that, Oh, no way. <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh-uh. Uh, that's one reason I like to use it on our sure. web page for the polygamists because yeah. we, they have such a heavy burden to carry yeah. um, that we want them to trust Jesus rather than carrying all these burdens. Uh, and they're placed on them by men, sure. by the leaders of the group, sure. certainly not by God. A good question to ask is, why don't abusive religious groups rely upon verses like these <laughs> to guide of those them? Instead <laughs> Yeah, instead of teaching them to come to Jesus, they... The, and rest in Him, they teach, come to us because we're the only true religion and you'll find salvation only with us. But that's not what Jesus taught at all. They use verses that are most often taken out of context or painfully twisted to say what they want their victims to hear. Or they claim the Bible says something that it doesn't say at all. And then she writes this. In Matthew 11:29 through 30, he tries to assure the people that he is gentle and lowly in heart, humble, offering an easy yoke. My burden is light. Yet we are never in short supply of individuals who wish to control other people as well as those who wish to be controlled. And that's true. I guess. People who love to control and people who let them do the controlling. She writes that there are three key aspects that create situations where religious authoritarianism develops and thrives. And these are the three <laughs> key aspects. Yeah, I see this sometimes in my own former religion. Mm -hmm. The culture adheres to a strict authoritarian social structure. The culture is fearful. The culture is separatist. In other words, it practices isolationism, sometimes locating even to very remote areas. That's exactly what Brigham Young did when he brought yes, the Mormons to Salt Lake. He, yeah. he did number three there. He separated himself. That's the only place they could that they knew they could go and practice their religion, yeah. which was polygamy, and you can find it in the early Mormon history, and it was illegal. Yeah. It was yeah. illegal. But but the the Mormon culture, yours your <laughs> brand of Mormonism and the polygamy brand, yeah. ha all three of these um, are very yeah. true, yeah. applied to them. Yeah. And that's exactly how most of all of the Mormon polygamy groups behave. A great point that she does make is that the reason children can and are mistreated and abused in oppressive religious groups is because of the way the group itself handles the parents who are the caretakers, caretakers of the children. Parents in religious authoritarian cultures are denied individuality and have been trained in a groupthink mentality and in turn they train their children into groupthink mentality. Individualism is avoided. Many polygamy groups require parents to depend upon the leadership or specific individuals to help make all or most of their decisions. And too often, in fact, most often, they resort to corporal punishment to keep children in line so that as they grow up, they will stay within the religious system. What it actually boils down to is that the leadership will control the children 
because they're controlling sure. the parents. Sure. And that was so evident in the polygamy group, so evident. I didn't know that till after I was out, uh, but you can sure see it afterwards. It, yeah. And the children grow up under strict mind and behavior control designed to keep them members for life. And that's how these groups survive. Uh, that's precisely how the Mormon church <laughs> has gotten so big today because yeah. it's very mind and behavior controlling an authoritarian religion. Uh, it's precisely how polygamy groups experience sustained growth. On page 52, <clears throat> she quotes what Carolyn Jessup said in a news interview after she left the FLDS polygamy group. Everything you did was monitored and controlled, and everybody reported on everyone else. Gee, it was a police state. You were not allowed to make decisions in your life. I had no power over my life or the lives of my children. It was a terrible way to live. And you know what? I come across a quote one time, I don't have it for this show, where that's how the early Mormons in Utah, when they first came, is exactly Felt describes same that same way. Where everybody reported on everybody else. Such a controlled environment. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And then she writes about a woman who had left the mainstream Mormon church because the LDS were too controlling of her family. We quote. Members asked their bishop if they should take a new job or move or buy a new house or other life choices that would be normal adult decisions. There's talk about free agency, but if your answer isn't the same as the church's, you simply didn't pray hard enough or you weren't worthy to get the correct answer. Grown adults will often obey church leaders' advice over their own personal guidance they receive through prayer because their leaders are supposed to be speaking for God. Isn't that so the way true. it was? Yeah. That's the way it was. That's certainly like that. They abuse that authority for sure. There's a lot of abusers are. Yeah. Authentic Christian pastors and leaders don't control or dictate members' personal decisions. They trust Jesus to take care of the details in the lives of the people. And remember, Jesus is gentle and kind and humble in heart. What is to fear about that? This is the part one. Yeah, this is really fascinating. And we'll be, we'll be doing part two and next time, and then yeah. three and four after that. I just can't imagine, like you were saying, that you, you didn't even sense, or you sensed the control when you were there, but after you left, it became very apparent. And the, you wonder the, why the wives and so on would continue to submit to that. Well, the children, of course, don't have any choice. Your yeah. ch children don't have choices. But when you get older, you're so you're you're so automated, robot robotized, I guess yeah. that that that's what you do. It's you just, just do the it. The only life you know. Well, it's the only life you know, and and they put God in all of this. God wants you to do that. God wants you to do this. God doesn't want you to do that. If you do this, God will be mad, and you know, and it's all. It, it's all that. And, all and, in the name of God. Uh, right. All, and we're going to get in these next shows coming up how they have used scripture, misused certain scripture passages to abuse and brutalize their children. It's just so sad. It is very sad. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, we hope that this helps the viewers who watch. Yeah. And thanks, Earl. You we'll betcha. get you on the next one. Yeah, I'm excited. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus said that rulers lord their authority over people, but he said his followers were not to behave that way. Instead, they are to become servants and serve the people, not dictate to them. Patriarchal religions hold up the male as being God's mediator, that whatever he says is law. 
Well, that attitude is absolutely opposite of what Jesus taught, yet these religions claim they follow Jesus. An authoritative leader will, who, who pretends to converse with God on behalf of the people is a sham and he's a fraud. And God never intended for the husband to lord it over his family. Instead, he's supposed to provide and protect and serve them, never abuse them. May this truth seep deep into the hearts and minds of all religious authoritarianism. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.